The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you had given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. For all of those visiting with us today, thank you for choosing to be with us today. I really am excited to dive into what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I've never actually preached this particular passage until today. And so it's a beautiful passage. It landed in hearts and families so well at the 9 a.m., and I hope it will be the same with you. Before we dive into this passage, would you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive into this passage, let me also just thank all the medical professionals in our community, because when someone passes out or has an emergency, we can continue to worship knowing that you've got our backs and you've got the backs of everyone here. So we had a little boy pass out during Reckless Love. He was really moved. And Stacy and uh, Dr. Hewitt, wherever you are in here, Frederick, thank you, and whoever else helped. And there's Jack walking around, see? I invited him back in for my sermon. Let's see if he comes back in. No, seriously, let's, let's begin with this question. Have you ever received special privileges from someone you know? As shared by Nikki Gumbel, during the American Civil War, as a result of a family tragedy, a soldier was granted special permission by his commanding officer to go and seek a hearing with the President of the United States. His aim? To request special exemption from military service in order to go care for his ailing family. Now, unfortunately for this soldier, when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry and turned away. Deflated, he went to a 
nearby park, dropped his head, and just sat there, struggling with what to do next. A little while later, a young boy came across the soldier and remarked how unhappy he looked. The soldier found himself telling the little boy everything of what was going on. Eventually, the little guy said, come with me. And then he led the dejected soldier back towards the White House. Now listen to this. Instead of going to the front door, the boy led the soldier to the back door, and noticeably, none of the guards stopped them. Reportedly, even the generals and high-ranking government officials present at the time stood to attention and let the two pass by. The soldier, as you might imagine, was amazed. Finally, they came to the presidential office where the young boy, without knocking, opened the door and walked straight in. Abraham Lincoln, standing there, turned from his conversation with the Secretary of State and said, what can I do for you, Tad? And that's when Tad Lincoln, the son of the President of the United States, said, hey, Dad, this soldier needs a word with you. You see, it took the soldier knowing and trusting the son to be able to gain full access to the President that day. What I love about this story is it strikes right at the heart of the gospel and right at the heart of our passage today. This leads us to our big idea from John 17. We will only know Jesus the Savior when we know Jesus the Son, who came on behalf of God the Father to grant us total security in his love. Point one, to know Jesus the Savior, we must know Jesus the Son. Our passage begins when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to the heavens and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh. Later we read, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Friends, the first thing we need to see and understand about Jesus is that his claims were and are audacious. They are bold beyond belief. Now, if you're like me, you might have grown up thinking of Jesus as a nice shepherd, right? Carrying a little lamb or sheep. Anyone remember seeing pictures like that growing up? Or if you're a former hippie, maybe you saw Jesus with that long hair and with those sandals as the original hippie of the universe, right? He was uh, nice, kind, and oh, so approachable. Even in recent years, I've, I've seen t-shirts trending, maybe you've seen these, and they read, Jesus is my homeboy. The implication being Jesus was some type of philanthropic hipster back in ancient Israel. 
But let me tell you, kindness and coolness don't get someone killed. At least killed in the way Jesus was taken out. Kindness and coolness don't get you mocked, beaten, and gruesomely hung on a cross between two thieves for all the world to see. No. Jesus said and claimed some very audacious things, the biggest of which are actually found in our passage today. Here in John 17, Jesus says he's the son of God. He always existed with God, and he is a member of the Godhead himself. And these claims you see back in that day were not something you claimed lightly. Why? Because they challenged or seemed to challenge a core tenet of the Jewish faith, God's unique monotheism, excuse me, God's unrivaled singularity and sovereignty. In what's known as the Shema, the Israelites were told by Moses in Deuteronomy 6 these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. Have you ever heard that before? Moreover, we read in other parts of the Old Testament that God would never, ever, ever share his glory with another. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Isaiah 48, verse 11, I will act on for my own sake. Indeed, my own, how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. And thus, Jesus' words in John 17 are unavoidably audacious. Listen to them. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And we're meant to go, whoa! Really? Did he just say what I think he said? Sure, at first blush, his words are intimate and sweet. Yet read within the context of that world and in the context of our worlds, they carry, a, they carry serious weight. And they carry serious consequences. Jesus claimed divinity. Jesus claimed, called, excuse me, called for glory. Jesus claimed to have all authority over the whole world. They're bold claims, are they not? Not just for his followers, but for you and me. Hopefully you see that. Stated bluntly, either Jesus was and is the Son of God, embodying the very fullness of God, carrying the whole authority of God, or he was and is something entirely different. And as we see in the rest of the New Testament, Jesus either provides us full access, like Tad Lincoln, to the Father, or he does not. There's no middle ground with Jesus. His own words and claims don't allow for such. In the words of the late C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, I'm trying here, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing 
that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis writes. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell, Lewis writes. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense, Lewis writes, about his being simply a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. And so the question is, what do you choose? What do you choose today? Do you choose to believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God? Or else a madman or something very different? Do you align with what the writer of Hebrews would go on to say in Hebrews 1? When he wrote, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This leads us to point two. Know God the Father in the total security of his love. Allow me to share another good story. It's captured in the book, Power of Living, and then relayed by Kent Hughes. The late professor Frederick Craddock of preaching and New Testament studies at Phillips University and Emory University once had an unexpected encounter while on a short vacation with his bride in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Anyone ever been to Gatlinburg? I've never been. I need to go. You see, following their arrival and hoping for some R&R, they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked to have a quiet little meal together, just the two of them. And while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished white-haired older gentleman making his way around the room, going from table to table visiting guests. And Craddock leaned forward and whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. <laughs> you see, he didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy. But sure enough, what did the man do? He made his way over to the table. Where are you folks from? He asked amicably. Oklahoma, they replied. Splendid state. Although I've never been there myself, what do you do for a living? Why, well, I, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary at Phillips University. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I've got a story I want to share with you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair at their table. And Craddock then said he groaned inwardly. Oh, no. 
here comes another guy with a preacher story. Don't we all have one of those? And the man stuck out his hand and he said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because of the taunts of my classmates, they would cut me so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on the weekends, on Saturday afternoons, feeling every eye burning a hole through me. They were all wondering just who my real father was. Then when I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. And you see, I would always come to church late and leave a little early. But one day the preacher said the benediction so quickly that I was caught off guard and had to leave with the rest of the congregation. And I could see every eye in the church on me. And just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up and the preacher was looking right at me. And he said, who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt the old weight coming on me. And it felt like a black cloud. Now even the preacher man was putting me down. But as he looked at me, studying my face, he began to smile, a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a son of God. With that, the preacher said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Now go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at the professor and said, and that was the most important single sentence ever said to me. And with that, he smiled, shook the hands of the professor and his wife and moved on to greet other guests around the restaurant. And as the gentleman moved on, suddenly the professor remembered something important. On two occasions, the people of Tennessee had elected an illegitimate to be their governor. And guess what? One, one of them was named Ben Hooper. It's quite the story and quite the point. You see, when we come to know God as our Father, in the total security of his love, it changes everything. And that's precisely why Jesus came for you and for me. Jesus wants each one of us to know the total security of the Father's love today. Listen again to his words. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh. For what purpose? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Do you see it? Jesus's words are not just audacious, they're affectionate. Jesus says, 
to you and to me. He came to bring us life, eternal life, life to God's chosen people, to those the Father has given to, son, to the Son, to all who will believe. And what's the aim of this mission? It is pure intimacy, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You see, God the Father sent God the Son to secure a lasting relationship with you and me. And this is beautiful, Brooke. This is beautiful, Ashley. This is beautiful reading, is it not? As I reflect on this passage, I couldn't help but reflect on putting my kids to bed when they were little. Believe it or not, they used to be little. I don't know how this whole thing works. They used to be little, like Caden used to be little. Um, Blaze used to be little. But I would go and I'd tuck them in and say a prayer and I'd ask this question. I'd say, Caden, Blaze, Sailor, how much do you think I love you? And they'd say, how much, Daddy? I'd say, do you think it's this much? They said, no, Daddy. Do you think it's this much? They'd say, no, Daddy. They'd say, do you think it's this much? They'd say, no, Daddy. I'd say, do you think it's this much? They'd say, yes, Daddy. That's how much you love us. And it's ironic, isn't it, that Jesus would spread his arms as far as they would go on a hill called Calvary to demonstrate the Father's love to you and to me. In the book of Jeremiah, we read these words, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And such is why we see this term glorify or to glorify used over and over again in our passage. In a biblical sense, glorify means to unveil and display one's truest character and nature. Thus, what Jesus prays to the Father in our passage is that through his sacrificial death, we would all see the Father's sacrificial heart unveiled for you and for me. We would all see the everlasting love of a dad that is always faithful and true beyond our wildest dreams. As Eugene Peterson translates our passage in the message, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life in all those in his care. So this is real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. You see, today, more than anything else, God wants you and me to know him and find total Security in his love. See, if we leave here trusting in our earthly relationships, we will be let down. If we leave here trusting in our bodies or our beauty, we will be let down. If we leave here trusting in our finances or our own abilities, we will be let down. But if we leave here trusting that there is a God who relentlessly loves us and calls us his own Dylan, it will change everything for us. So one fellowship, family, and friends, how will you leave here today? 
Perhaps a better way of asking it is, who or what will you trust as you leave here today? Will it be a person? Will it be a thing? Or will it be the one who says, I have loved you, Davis, with an everlasting love. No matter who you are, I'm getting choked up. The first service, we had, we had three different family units. This isn't in my notes. One member from each unit had been an orphan at some point in their life. And they're sitting in the front row hungry for this love. So friends, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter where you come from, you're invited to know and trust the Father, the only true God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ, today. You don't have to go to a part and sit dejected like the soldier anymore. You don't have to live ashamed like the little boy, Ben Hooper. How much does God love you, Aaron? Is it this much? No. Adelaide, is it this much? No. Sherry, is it this much? No. Is it this much, Carla? Yes. That's how much God the Father loves you. And friends, we will only know Jesus the Savior when we know Jesus the Son who came on behalf of God the Father to grant us total security in his love. So friends, put the full weight of your trust in Jesus and the Father's love today and let it be the most important thing that defines your life all the days of your life. You, Tom, are loved with an everlasting love. And guess what? That changes everything. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to live and die and rise for us. As we come to this point in our service where we respond and we confess our sins, we, we just pray that you would search us and know us and love us right here and right now, God. We would say yes to you and no to all the things that do not matter, that you would reorder our affections and we would find total and lasting security in no one but you. We pray for our profound joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.